Well, good morning. Happy Easter to you. Glad that you're here today. Um, I don't know about you if you realize this. We probably do because we got dressed up more and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But today, it doesn't get bigger than today. It just doesn't get bigger than this for our faith, for Christianity, uh, in worshiping Jesus. Because today, we get to celebrate the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of happening. Uh, we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he is alive, that he defeated sin and death. And so uh, I don't know about you, but this is a big deal today. And I'm glad that you're here worshiping with us, celebrating this with us. Uh, so we can just, uh, yeah, we're just going to celebrate. We're going to have a, a great time. We already have. Amen. I mean, this is, we are here ready to go. So uh, I don't know if you're, what you're used to, but at Northridge, we kind of, uh, we're a little bit more relaxed and we're a little bit more just kind of in your face. And we're kind of like, we don't kind of do the do, 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 do. All right. So, so there's going to need to be some response. There's gonna, you know, we're going to get into this uh, because we believe that living for Christ, living for Jesus is a passion thing, something that should consume us. And for those of you here, I know many of you here for the very first time, you've never been to Northridge. There's a ton of you here, never been here before. And so welcome. And I want to say this, and this may not even sound true to you, but it is. We are truly honored by your presence here. We really are. We've been expecting you. We really have. We've been planning and preparing for this. We've been praying for you. We don't even know your names, a lot of you, but we've been praying for you anyway. And so we are honored that you chose to join us and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus here. And we want you to know, too, that not just today, but every day is a safe place at Northridge to dig in and explore what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis. That's what we're here is to, for everyone to give their life to Jesus and follow him. Uh, and so I want to start today uh, on Easter. Uh, maybe it's very unconventional. Maybe you've never seen anybody start this way, but I want to start with a video this morning. Uh, we tend to do this some at Northridge, but I want to start with a video. And this video, I'm not, you may not understand why we're even showing this video at first, and that's okay. It's only like a minute long. Uh, so just kind of watch and see what you think you see, and then I think that you might see that it's something different. All right, so just try to take a look at this video, soak it in. It's only a minute long, and uh, just see what you think. All right, here we go. honest now, how many of you thought that was like an animatronic kind of robot, right? Okay. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Like well, the first time I saw that and then it comes back and then it's like, that's cardboard? Like really? And it's all about kind of that perspective, isn't it? Like how you view that. Now I have a couple of other, uh, just kind of examples of that. I have another picture. Let's, let's bring it up here. Uh, if you look at that, what do you see right away? 
All right, some of you are going to see it. Some of you are going to see uh, This looks like the circles are kind of like interlocking, don't they? Does it look like they kind of crisscross and all that stuff? But they're really just circles inside of each other, like small circle, bigger circle, bigger circle. But it looks like they kind of cross in kind of like that. In fact, I have another example. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this one, uh, let me just ask you this. Are these two squares obviously a different color? Right? Clearly, they're a different color. Okay, I want you to do something. Okay, again, I told you you're going to have to interact. We're not this like let's have a reading this morning. Okay, I'm I'm not making fun. I'm just saying. Okay, right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put up your finger. Okay, like this horizontal. Everybody, get your fingers out. Okay, no, you're not going to give wet willies. I, I know you want to. Maybe that's just some of the immature guys in the room, but that's me. All right. Horizontal finger, and I want you to put the finger, close one eye, and cover where the two squares meet. See what happens. What do you find? These two squares are actually the exact same color. But it's an illusion because it tricks your brain into thinking that they're different colors, but they're not. They're the same color crazy, isn't it? Like, no, and you have to do it again, right? I did it. I'm like, no, yes, unbelievable. That's weird, right? And it's just one of those things. Well, here's the deal. The reason I start this way is because your perspective, my perspective, how we view things matters. How we see something, what we believe, what we think about someone or something makes a huge difference as to how we live our life, as to how we are going to live, as to how we're going to act, as to the decisions we're going to make in our lives. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at the Easter story. It's Easter, so I think it's probably good to look at the Easter story today. But we're going to look at the Easter story from a little different angle, different view, different perspective And what I think is going to happen today, and it did for me even throughout this week, is I think it might change your view or at least deepen your level of understanding and view of who Jesus is in your life and who Jesus needs to be in your life. We're going to take a look again at Easter from a different point of view, from a different set of eyes. In fact, the, the way that we're going to do this is we're going to look at the story of the crucifixion and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from a side person, a person that's in the story of Jesus, but it might be a person that it's quite possible that none of you have ever heard of him. It's possible that you've heard of him, but you've never really taken notice of him. Or maybe there's a few of us in here who have noticed him, but didn't really understand why he's in the Easter story at all. So we're going to learn about Jesus by looking from a side character, a person who just seems to kind of be a speed bump, an interruption in the story of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today. So let me just set up the story. Easter, it's Easter, so we're going to start at the end of the story, the victorious part, the part we're all here to celebrate. We're going to start with the resurrection. So the story is this. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already been put in the tomb. He was put in the tomb on Friday. Okay? He's in there on Friday. That's the first day. Then he's in there on Saturday. He's still dead. He's in the tomb on Saturday. And then we come to the first day of the week, Sunday, early Sunday morning. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. This is what is recorded in Luke chapter 24. Notice I said recorded. This is not something that was made up. This is recorded. It's simply an eyewitness account saying this is what happened on Sunday morning that day. All right? 
Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1. On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day he raised again. He needs to be raised again. So this is why Easter is such a big deal. This is why we do all of this, okay? This is why you got up this morning and wrangled with your children, put tights and dresses on, and argued with them and said, we are going to love Easter and you're going to like it and you're going to wear these things, Right? How many of you was just relaxing this morning? Praise the Lord for Easter. Probably not. Neither in my household either. I mean, seriously, it's just this calm like thing. And we walk in and like, oh, the Lord is risen. And like, it was calm this morning and God's peace was there. I don't know about you, but my experience is different, right? But Easter is a big deal. And we do get dressed up and we kind of get all, here we go. It's Easter. But Why? This is the reason. What I just read is the reason because Jesus is alive. He did not stay on the cross. He did not stay in the tomb. He is risen and he is alive. Amen? So this is a big deal. Now, I want to get something out of the way right away. Again, we don't kind of mince words here at Northridge. We don't play around. Some of us in here don't believe the resurrection happened. There's a lot of people in this planet that do not believe the resurrection happened. They believe it's a good story. They believe it's kind of nice to dress up, but they don't believe it happened. Some of you in here don't believe it happened. So the question is why? Why is Easter such an important deal that we would show up and that we would actually celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? It is a huge deal. Like I said before, it doesn't get bigger. So why is it such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of this. If Jesus did not resurrect from the dead because he clearly died on the cross and he was killed. If Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, then you and I, we worship a dead God. Have you thought about that? We worship a dead God. Somebody who's not even real, not alive, and there's no power. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the grave, then, then the point we might as well not show up on any Sunday, let alone Easter. Because if Jesus, let, let's put it this way. This is, this is really going to hurt. But Jesus, if Jesus just died and he's in the tomb and he never rose from the grave, then Jesus is a liar. Right? Because what did Jesus say when he was on this earth, when he was doing his ministry? He said, I must be crucified, and then I must be buried. I have to be put in the tomb. And then I, in three days, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. I'm going to raise from the grave. And so if Jesus said that, but then it doesn't happen, he's just, what is he? He's just a liar. There's no power. There's no resurrection. There's nothing there. We can't worship a dead God. But aren't you glad and excited this morning that that's not what happened. 
that Jesus did raise from the grave. He is resurrected. He is literally, he's alive and he knows exactly who you are. And he is here with us even this morning. He rose from the grave and this is really, really important. It gives, it's what gives us, without the resurrection, we don't have any hope. The resurrection gives us hope that literally anything can happen. In fact, uh, let me just give you an example of this. So after Jesus dies, he's in the tomb. And then you go and fast forward to that, uh, to that day and Sunday. And, you know, he raises from the grave, but the disciples don't know it yet, right? The disciples don't know it. And so Jesus has to prove to them, to the disciples, that he is alive. And so, uh, so he decides he's going to appear to the disciples. And, and do you know where he finds the disciples after the, the crucifixion and he's in the tomb and all kind of stuff? The disciples, we kind of think the disciples are pretty awesome. They are. But this is where Jesus finds them. He goes and he finds them. They are in a house with the doors locked, hiding out in an upper story, second story, second floor room. They're scared to death. The disciples are fearful. Because why? Because they think Jesus is dead and long gone. They think it's over. Jesus died. Our leader is dead. He's gone. And now they think the Romans and the authorities, they're going to come after them and they're going to crucify them too because they've been hanging out with Jesus for the last several years, learning from him. And so they're huddled in this room. They're scared. And then Jesus, you know, you know, I don't know if he did that. I always interject my thoughts. And it's like, I think I'm cool. I know I'm not. Like Jesus is cool, but I'm not. And, but if I were planning it, you know, I'd be like, Jesus, there's going to be a whoosh sound. And then you're going to hit like right next to Peter because we all know what he does. He's going to jump through the roof. It's going to be awesome, you know. But either way, I mean, Jesus appears. He just, whew, there he is. He appears in the room. Remember, the doors are all locked. And so there's no way he should have gotten in. Then he gets in and they think he's a ghost at first. The disciples think he's a ghost because they're like, okay, he died. we saw you die. We buried you. Like you were dead, dead. So how are you here? And then they realize and they go up and they touch the scars where he was nailed to the cross. And they touch the side where the spear was jabbed through his ribs, through his side. And they touch the scar and they realize this is really Jesus. Like he's alive again. And it is at this point. Now, how do we know this? Because the disciples go from cowering in fear. You know what happens soon after this? After they see Jesus is alive and resurrected? What happens after this is the disciples begin to scatter over the known world and they tell every single human being that they can possibly find about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say, listen, not only did he die for you, but he's raised again and he is alive and he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to give your life to him. And people come to Christ in droves. The first time Peter preaches, you know how many people accept Jesus? 3,000 people accept Christ. There's no way Peter has that power and that boldness and that courage without having come into contact and touching the risen Lord Jesus and his scars. The resurrection is what gives us hope. It's what gives us power. It's what gives us the opportunity and the ability to know that anything can happen. So that's why we're here today. We get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but... Sometimes we forget that there's actually two parts to the Easter story, right? There's two parts to the Easter story. There's the resurrection, which is the excitement, but then there's another part. I want to go back to listen to Jesus' words in verse 7. I read these. 
I don't know if you took notice of them, but Jesus himself said this. Okay, listen to what he says in verse 7. The Son of Man, he's talking about himself, that's Jesus, so we can insert Jesus there. Jesus must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now on Easter, we get it. Because we know that last part, on the third day, Jesus is raised again. So the resurrection, we're like, yeah, put on the pink, put on the light blue, get out the Easter eggs, let's do this, right? And we celebrate the resurrection, the tomb is empty, woo, right? We get that part, but then we sometimes forget why the resurrection was absolutely necessary. In fact, you notice in that verse, Jesus says, I must It comes from the Greek word die, not D-I-E, but D-E-I. That Greek word translates to necessity or necessary. Jesus says, I must. It's absolute necessity that I resurrect from the grave. But did you notice the first part that had to happen to him? He had to die to be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be put on a cross. And sometimes we forget about that part because we don't like to think about the the downer part and, and we like to talk about the resurrection part. Well, they're both good. They're both good. And I want to talk about kind of what happens with both parts of the Easter story because not only did Jesus conquer death by resurrecting from the grave, but Jesus also conquered the thing that leads to death. Did you know why we die? Everybody dies. We all know that. Like, if that was a shock to you, I'm sorry that I messed it up for you today. All right? (laughs) I apologize for breaking the surprise, right? But we we all die. Did you know why, though? The reason is because of sin. Jesus defeated the Easter story. The greatest part of the Easter story is the fact that he defeated death, but he also defeated what leads to death, which is sin. Amen? And so today, for the last part, I want to focus on the the first part of the Easter story. But we're going to look at it from this side person. So where I want to pick up the story is this. The religious leaders in Jerusalem, they've brought trumped up charges, made up charges about Jesus. They faked the charges against Jesus. He's never done anything wrong. And so they had to make him up. They had to trump up the charges. And so they bring him in on trumped up charges. He's never done anything wrong, but they bring him in anyway. But the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they know they have no power, no power to actually deal out any punishment against Jesus. And so they bring him to the authorities who actually have the authority to deal out punishment. Okay? And so they go before a guy named Pilate. All right? And then Pilate finds Jesus innocent. And then Pilate sends him. He's like, I, I think I need a second opinion because these people are really crazy. And so he sends him to Herod Antipas. By the way, if you're about to have a baby and you need names, Herod Antipas, Pilate, I mean, fantastic, right? The Bible gives us great ideas. I'm just saying, okay? Herod Antipas, and so Pilate, nope, Jesus is innocent. Sends him to Herod. What do you think? Herod says, 
He's innocent, obviously innocent. He's done literally nothing wrong. And so Herod says, but I don't want to do anything about this. And so he sends him back to Pilate and says, you decide what to do. And so Pilate sticks Jesus up on the stage in front of a whole bunch of people, the religious leaders and, and the, the Jewish leaders and, the, and all the, just tons of people, thousands of people are there, okay? And Jesus is there and Pilate is there and he has a verdict, and this is where I want to pick up the story. So we're going to go back a chapter, Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 13. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict, his decision. You brought this man, he's talking about Jesus, to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us because he didn't want to make the decision. He didn't say that. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. So I will have him flogged, which is just a minor little punishment, and then I will release him. So I want to pause there for just a minute. Jesus is clearly innocent, right? You're, getting, you're picking up what they're throwing down here. Jesus has not done a single thing wrong in his life, let alone leading up to this point. He is absolutely, completely innocent. But now is where it gets weird. Now is when we have this person that I was talking about, this random guy that shows up in the Easter story. This guy that we, honestly, we hear his name three times in this story, three times within seven verses. He literally hasn't shown up before. We didn't know he was there during when Jesus is being, the verdict is being read. We don't know he's even there. And all of a sudden, the biblical narrative, the, the writer records and tells us, oh, by the way, there's this other guy up on the stage with Jesus. And this is one I want to focus on for the next few minutes. This guy's name is Barabbas. Maybe you've never even heard of Barabbas. But Barabbas is up there with Jesus. And so, so Pilate, this is where we're at. Pilate says, Jesus is innocent. I'm going to flog him. I'm going to release him. Okay? That's what I want to do. That's, that has just been said. This is what happens right after that. Verse 18. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. And then there's this kind of this side note. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection, a revolt, a rebellion in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. This is the third time Pilate's tried that. Did you notice? Third time he's tried to do this. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder, but he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. So Jesus is clearly innocent. But we have this other person that all of a sudden shows up in the narrative. It's almost like 
it, it, to me, it almost is if you're reading the story and all of a sudden you're like, wait, who's this guy? I didn't even know he was there. It's almost like it's a speed bump. It's an interruption in, we're talking about Jesus here, right? Everything's supposed to be about Jesus. And then there's this guy, this random criminal named Barabbas. And what do we know about Barabbas? We know very, pretty much nothing. So this seven verses is all we know. All we know is he's a criminal and he's being punished for insurrection, which was revolt or rebellion, and for murder. Those were his crimes, revolt, rebellion, and murder. That's all we know. So the question is, why is Barabbas even in this story? Barabbas is in this story because he shows us the whole point of why you and I are even sitting here today. Barabbas is here to show us why Easter is such a big deal. Barabbas is the point of what Jesus is doing. He's the key. See, here's what happened. If you and I were there that day, when Jesus and Barabbas were in front of the people, it would appear, based on what I read, it would appear that Jesus was punished and Barabbas was set free because of Pilate's authority. Doesn't it look that way? It was Pilate who gave the word to say, Barabbas, you go. Jesus, I'm sorry. In fact, there's another translation. I didn't read it in, the, in another gospel book in the Bible that says Pilate washed his hands in front of everybody. And he says, this blood is not on me. I do not know what you're doing, but okay. And it looks like Pilate has the authority. Or at the very minimum, it looks like the people convinced Pilate to do this, doesn't it? It looks like the people are the ones that condemned Jesus. It looks like the people are the ones that got Barabbas out, right? If, if they were like planning to get him out of jail, like they, they are the ones who planned and they are the ones who did it. They're, they accomplished it. But the problem is, if we think that, that's inaccurate. That's not what happened there. Yes, it's what I just read in God's word, but that's not what happened to that, that day in that moment. You know what did happen? Pilate had way less authority than he thought. The people had way less power than they thought. You know what really happened that day? Jesus allowed Barabbas to go free. It is only because of Jesus that, Bar that Barabbas was able to go free. It's the only way. Now, just logically think about this with me. If we believe that Jesus rose from the grave, if we believe that Jesus is resurrected, like he can defeat, he can actually be in a tomb and then he can roll the stone away and walk out and be like, ha, I'm good. If we believe Jesus can resurrect from the grave, I'm pretty sure he can handle this little guy named Pilate and a few people who want to do something to him. Don't you think? If he can defeat sin and death, I think it's pretty obvious Jesus can do whatever he wants at this moment. He can do anything he wants. He can say, you know what? This Barabbas guy, no way. Uh, let's just like, somebody stand behind him and I'm going to push him over or trip him. No, Jesus wouldn't do that. But you know, Jesus can do whatever he wants. He can call down fire. He can call down the angels. He can do whatever he wants. But Jesus doesn't do that. Praise God for that. Jesus doesn't do that. 
Jesus allows Barabbas to go free. In fact, it gets a lot deeper than that, doesn't it? Not only did Jesus allow Barabbas to go free, not only did he allow him to go free, but Jesus, now, in fact, let me ask this question first. Do you remember what crimes Barabbas was on being going to be punished for? What were the two crimes? For rebellion and for murder. Okay, let me, let me tell you this. You guys know I'm a history geek. Do you know what crimes the Roman government, the Romans, reserved the right to crucify people for? Do you know what the two crimes were, the main ones? Rebellion and murder. Okay, just, just follow this with me. Barabbas already had his cross made for him. He was on his way that day, that day, to be crucified on a cross that was made for him. Jesus not only allowed Barabbas to go free, Jesus set Barabbas free by taking Barabbas' place on the cross that was made for Barabbas. You hear that? Jesus took Barabbas' place. Jesus said, no, let him go. I'll go to the cross for him. I'm going to get locked up. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be beaten. I'm taking his place. You know what the kicker is? What God has been working me over again and again this week is this. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. Each one of us is Barabbas. You realize that? Everyone. I'm not saying you're a murderer. Some of you are kind of like, whoa, step back, dude. No, you're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. I'm not calling us revolt and rebellions. I'm not talking us murderers. No, I'm not saying we're doing that. But one thing that does make us all true, that we're all in the same boat is this. What is that? We all have rebelled against God. Isn't that true? The Bible says that very clearly. Romans 3.23, listen to what it says. For everyone, that kind of is inclusive. That's like everyone. Okay, you look at the original language, you know what it means? Everyone. <laughs> it's amazing, that translation. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all fall short of God's glory, his standard of living. We all have rebelled against God. I have done it multiple times. I do it a lot. I don't want to, but I do. Because I want to do my thing. I want to do it my way. Sin has infected all of us. We're all Barabbas. And sin doesn't just affect us, does it? In fact, uh, this is just a quick little side note. I don't know if, um, I'll just say this. Sin affects you and your relationship with God. But what we all know is it affects you and your relationships with everybody around you. Do you realize that? It it's like a virus. If you have sin and you allow sin to just live in your life, it spreads out and infects the family and everybody else around you. It's like a disease. It's, it's a virus. And in fact, um, we're going to, i just tell you this. Yes, this is a promotion real quick. 
Next week, we all need this. I need this. I'm so glad. This is timely for me. Next week, we're starting a new series called Fight. It's called Fight. And the reason it's called Fight is because we are going to talk about how to live life from God's perspective in our relationships, especially the closest ones, our family. And we're going to talk about how to change, how to move from fighting with our family to fighting for our family. Can I get an amen on that? And so I hope you'll join us. I really do. For several weeks, we're going to hit this topic all kind, from di- all kinds of different ways. But the truth is, we're all Barabbas. We've all rebelled against God. We all have sin. But the greatest part about Easter is this. Even though you're Barabbas and I'm Barabbas, even though we all have sin, we literally have no hope and we deserve the cross. That's what sin does. We deserve the cross because of sin in our life, because we have said, God, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. We all deserve the cross, but the greatest part of Easter is that Jesus knows that we had sin, and while we still had sin, Jesus said, no, 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 I will take your place. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to be dead because of sin. I want you to live with me forever. And so Jesus goes. In fact, Romans 5.8, it's already been quoted a couple of times this morning. It must be a good verse, right? Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Amen? He did not wait for you to clean up. He didn't wait for you to get to Northridge and be like, oh, oh, you know, hey, I didn't realize this now. He didn't wait for you to make sure you got things right. He didn't make sure that all of your relationships are reconciled. Uh, He didn't wait for you to say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are awesome. He didn't wait for any of that. While we were still sinners, Christ took our place, even though he knew it was a long time before we would accept him or if anybody would, sometimes people never accept him. He still died for them anyway. Praise God for that. So what does this mean for you and I on Easter? Maybe you came, this is more than you bargained for. Maybe you just wanted to kind of resurrection songs and say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, and we're good. Go to lunch. (laughs) Oh, we don't do that here. So what does it mean for you and I? What it means is, We need to respond, don't we? Jesus did not take your place on the cross. He did not hang and die a horrible, cruel death and get beaten and tortured publicly for us to show up at church a few times a year. Hello? I know harder I'm in on that one. He did not die on the cross. He did not take your place so that we can just say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross so that we would have a bridge, an access, an opportunity to be in the very presence of God without the problem of sin. Amen? He gave us the opportunity. He is the only opportunity we have, but it does require that we respond to Jesus, that we accept his forgiveness and his life and his salvation that he's given to us. It's in his hands. He's offering it to us. We just have to actually take it. Here's the the tragedy of this story. You know Barabbas? Go back to Barabbas. 
Barabbas was physically set free that day. But there is no mention of him saying thank you to Jesus, of being at all humble about it, or accepting Jesus that day. There's no mention of it. We don't know if he did or not. He may have, but there's no mention of it. So if he did not, you know what happened that day? Barabbas thought he was free, but he wasn't. He was still in bondage to sin because Jesus set Barabbas free physically, but he came to set him free for far more than that. He came to set him free eternally. That is very different than just being set free from shackles or from a jail cell. Jesus wants to set every person, all of you, me, every person on the planet free from sin. But it requires us to respond. It demands a response from you. You have to take that step to take the gift that Jesus is open-handedly giving to you. Will you accept Jesus? Will you give your life to Christ and live for him the rest of your days? He took your place, your place on the cross for you. It wasn't just in general like, hey, I'm gonna die for a few people that I think maybe will accept me someday. No, he knew who exactly who you were, every person. It's hard to imagine but he took your place. So the question is, will you accept the salvation that is offered? I have a lot of conversations, as you would imagine as a pastor, deep conversations about spiritual things. And one thing that I do in those conversations, I don't just you know, bring this up randomly, but one thing that I know that comes up a lot, in fact, usually I'm not the one that asks, they ask me. And so it comes up, what do, what's going to happen when you die? Do you know what's going to happen when you die? A lot of times they ask me, but sometimes I'll ask them because they're asking questions that lead to this. And do you know what the two main responses that I get from most people are? The first one is, well, I've, been, I've tried to be a good person. I, I think I'm living a pretty good life. That's usually the first response for a lot of people. And then the second response is, you know, I, I honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm, I'm kind of scared of it. Those are the two responses I get from just about everybody. I want to be very, very clear about this this morning. You can be sure. You can be certain of what happens to you when you die on this planet. Jesus has made it certain. He's made it certain for you. And he is longing, he's begging, he's desiring, he's praying that all you need to do is say, yes, Jesus. Three things. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe he's real, that he died on the cross for you and that he rose from the grave? Do you admit that you need Jesus? You have to believe him first. Then do you admit that you need him, that you need a savior to take your sins away? that you can't do it yourself. Let me just tell you, if you think you can, you can't. Jesus says, you can't take them away. I died for you so that you can have hope of having them gone. Believe, admit you need him, and then commit the rest of your days to following Jesus. And he promises your sins are taken away 
And you can walk out of here even today and be sure that your salvation is secure, that you are saved. So in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that because I know that some of us in here have never done it. We've gone to church. Our family believes. Maybe they don't believe. Maybe you're the only one in your family that does believe or thinks maybe you believe. But some of us in here have never given our life to Jesus. You can do it at any time but now is a great opportunity. If you know Jesus is tugging on your heart today, I encourage you, give your life. So in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And I'm gonna pray a short little prayer at the beginning. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, there's nothing magical about this prayer. These are not, there's nothing magical about these words. This is simply an example for you to use, for you to talk to God and give your life to him. To believe in him, admit you need him, and commit your life to him. But you're going to need to take one more step. And this will maybe be the hardest part of it. You have a bulletin. You have a connect card in there. If you give your life to Jesus, take another one more step. And I want you to put your name on there and a way to contact you. And then on the back, you can see it. There's a little box that says, I accepted Christ today. We actually had somebody accept Christ just last week. I believe many of you need to do this. I don't know who you are, but Jesus knows, by the way. Jesus, you know Jesus knows. It's why he got you up this morning. <laughs> Fill that out. Drop it in the Connect Card box, and this is what will happen. We will contact you very simply, and we're going to congratulate you. We're going to celebrate you because it's the greatest thing. It means you get to spend eternity with God when you leave this earth. So it doesn't get bigger than that. But then what we'll do is we'll simply ask, do you have any questions? How can we help get you started on your journey? Because when you accept Christ, it's just the beginning. So I'm going to pray. And for anyone in here who wants to accept Jesus, you can just pray these words with me. Don't let this moment go by. You can walk out of here and be sure. Let's pray. For anyone in here who wants to give their life to you, Jesus, I pray that they would just say some version of these words and that they would be true and authentic and genuine. For anyone in here who wants to give their life to you, I pray that they would just say these words. Jesus, today I believe in you. Today I give my life to you. Jesus, thank you for taking my place on the cross. Jesus, I admit I need you. I repent of my sins today. Today, I give my life to you. Today, I follow you. Today, I commit my life every day to following you and your word. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my place on the cross and then not staying dead and in the tomb, but raising from the dead. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me.
For anyone in here, maybe there's some in here who have already done that. They prayed that prayer once before or they gave their life to you. They thought maybe they did, but they're just not sure. I pray that they would also pray that prayer and that they would give their life, that they would just recommit their life to you, that they would walk out of here renewed knowing that they are a follower of Jesus. May you not allow any of us to walk out of here not sure of what would happen to us when we pass from this earth. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for resurrecting from the grave. We love you. We pray this in your name, the greatest name, the matchless name, the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.